What's going on, Badger fans? Welcome to Lockdown Badgers. Really great guest today. Is we're going to dive into somebody who is very, very connected to the Badgers and has tons of great experience there. I can't wait to do it. Let's go on Wisconsin. You are Locked On Badgers, your daily podcast on the Wisconsin Badgers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Badger fans? Welcome to Lockdown Badgers. Thank you for making this one of your first stops every single day. Today's episode brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use code LOCKDOWN20, or LOCKDOWN for $20 off your first purchase. And we're just going to jump into it because I don't want to waste any time when we get a guest like this. Uh, we got Patrick Herb joining the show. Um, Patrick is a, I'm really, really grateful for this, uh, Director of Communications and Brand Strategy for the University of Wisconsin. has been inside that program for a long, long time. Uh, I just want to say thank you for, for stopping by and taking some time with us. Happy to do it. Uh, I, you, you got a great podcast here. I have I have big respect for you trying to do this daily. Uh, I tried. We did one here that was weekly or maybe twice a week. It's a lot of work. And to keep up daily, like I've got a lot of respect. So I, you're scratching the bottom of the barrel if you need guests like me, but I'm happy to do it. That's absolutely not true. And be, be, uh, before we even get started, Behind the Badgers was a show you did with Brian Mason. Um, yeah. I, it was great. I, I was definitely one of your listeners. So, Well, I appreciate uh, that. It's it's fun. I, I enjoyed doing it. I think it was really good, long-form content, storytelling about the Badgers. The the podcasts are still out there. I think you can go find them. But you search Behind the Badgers, and it's now the vehicle that we use for our coaches' shows, the, the Luke Fickle show, the Greg Gard show, Chris McIntosh show. But um, – but the podcasts are still buried in there somewhere. And there are some really fun, like just storytelling in interviews we did with guests over the years, but that's, that's old news. No, we're going to link some of that. Cause I I've listened to some of those and there's some great guests in that. I want to start here. So director of communications and brand strategy, what actually is the brand strategy? Yeah. Is that too broad of a question? No. Um, so Communications here, it takes on a few different things. Like uh, we, have a, we have a communications department uh, that is responsible for being the liaison to the media with teams. So press conferences, interviews, television broadcasts, we kind of handle those, uh, that relationship. Um, we also are tasked with kind of helping set the narrative about our team and sharing content. So our social media presence um, and kind of how fans engage with our brand whether it's at games or in commercials um, or on-air broadcasts. And then we're also the gatekeepers to our history. So um, archiving records and photographs and his history of our programs. So there's a, there's a lot of like tangents about or trees, limbs to the tree in communications. But in terms of the brand strategy part, that's trying to pull out of the day-to-day what is what happened in this game? What happened in, in this week? And figure out what is the narrative that we want to set about our teams? How do we want to bring our product to fans, to consumers? Um, and sometimes it's very specific goals. We want to take this coach and we want to help people learn about him or her away from the field and get them to know their personality. Sometimes it's we have a really good team and we want to pour gasoline on the fire for loving this team. Um, this year's men's basketball team is a pretty good example of that. So our season ticket package in the off season, we kind of came up with a theme or a campaign to push messaging about our season tickets. And we had a pretty good feeling in the summer. Coach Gar did, the team did that. We're going to be pretty good, better than people think. I think they, the team was picked 
sixth in the Big Ten or so, and we'll see where they end up. But I think right now they're they're where we thought they would be towards the top of the Big Ten, fighting for a top seed in the NCAA tournament. So we launched this campaign where the team wanted to be great. They thought they could be great. Last year was not good enough. They understood that. Like that's not the standard of this program. So they want to chase this greatness. And so we lean into that, say, let's go, let's chase greatness, experience greatness. When you come to games, remember greatness, all these great moments that have happened at our building. And so we leaned into that greatness as the linchpin of this theme. And that's brand strategy, right? That's trying to figure out how can we connect the team to the fans, uh, sometimes for revenue purposes, selling tickets, et cetera, sponsorships, but sometimes just for getting people to be excited about our team, our products, get to know our athletes and coaches. That's a long uh, answer. I talk, uh, I talk a lot. That's a great answer, man. That's why we have people like you on. I always say we try to get people smarter than me on the show, which is not a high bar, but you certainly yeah. hear that. Uh, I want to go here because this is a question. And we're going to get into some questions later from people who submitted them, but you, we're just talking right now about brand, social media. This is from Chris. Um, how has social media evolved in just the last couple of years for you guys? Hmm. Uh, it changes. Okay, it changes all the time, right? It could be. TikTok comes in and we're like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Do we lean into this? This is a new medium. We only have a certain amount of bandwidth because we're not adding staff to do more and more social media necessarily. So, so sometimes it's trying to figure out, trying to stay with trends, ahead of trends. So people are on threads now. Does that mean we stop doing X and we start doing threads? Should we be doing both? Um, threads is, for those who don't know, that's the Facebook equivalent, right? If, if X dies someday, people might go over to threads. So I think just industry trends have changed and we're always trying to at least keep up with it. Um, for us, for social media, there's also a few different priorities. Uh, a big priority of it is recruiting, right? We know that the kids that we're after, the 16, 17 year olds that we're trying to recruit, engage with our brands and convince them that this is where they want to be. We got, we have to try and meet them where they are. And so a lot of times that's Instagram. Um, you know, it's funny that each, each social media outlet has a different demographic that we usually try to target, right? Facebook is more of the, the old folks like me that have white hair and the people that uh, the, the moms and the dads and the, and the um, some of our season ticket base where Instagram is more useful, youthful. And we're trying to reach students on campus for a, for a stripe out in the Cole center. We want to make sure that they all wear red shirts. Instagram is a better means to reach them than Facebook or Twitter. So I think studying some of those things, learning about that has changed in social media. Um, uh, here's another one that uh, we used to, like at the very beginning of social media, we used to bl live blog our games. So we would, we had, we'd, somebody would sit for me. I did it on basketball games. I would actually sit on my computer at courtside and I would have a live conversation with people. This is like just before social media really got going. So we're talking like 2009, 10, 11, right in there. And live questions would come in and we could push them through and we'd be sitting there. I'd be sitting there in the middle of the game, keeping this dialogue. Um, and then that just kind of moved over to Twitter and other areas. But I remember doing it. And when you're winning, it's great. And all the comments are like, yeah, I love this team. Like, Oh wow. Like Ben Bruss is so fun to watch. And then, and then when you lose the comments start just being terrible and it would be so defeating to be sitting there. Like I'm mad and frustrated too. Cause we're not playing well. And this is my team and I'm sitting through it. And then I'm sitting here listening, like watching these comments come through, just trashing the guys and the team. And I'm like not publishing any of them because I don't want any of these to go public. And uh, that was like, that's like almost pre-social media, but it's part of the game now on social media too, is monitoring comments and 
It's hard. It's frustrating. I can't imagine being one of our athletes or coaches and looking at mentions when things are tough. Like I, I really empathize with them because it's hard not to, you know, if you know, people are talking about you, it's hard not to read what they're saying. Um, But yet it's poisonous, right? It just, it is. Even when things are good, like reading that and getting swept up in like, Oh, you're really good. Um, That's a big part of social media. Now we, we, we work with our athletes on, do's and don'ts and suggestions and tips. And um, I don't want to call it training, but, but trying to help them navigate and build their personal brand. If they want to be active on social media, how do we help them? How do we help them use their platform, leverage our platform, which has huge audience and some do it really well. Like Connor Seijan's really good on social media. He's got he, the, the things that he engages with fans and in our local community and talking about, restaurants in town and commenting on the brewers because he knows people are interested in the brewers. He's really good at that. Um, and how, so how do we help him? How do we fuel that? And then for others, they may not want to be involved. Um, and that's fine too. It's probably healthier that way to, to not be uh, in some yeah. way. Yeah. So, I don't know if I would. I really don't know if I'd be on social media if I was an athlete at their caliber. No, it's tough. Um, I wanted to ask you this. I, I remember watching a video you did last year prior to the beginning of the football season, right before Buffalo. And I think you had a hit with ESPN uh, or Madison, and you were talking about the vibe in the room, the energy around mm-hmm. the football team was off the charts. A year later, um, probably not the year a lot of people hoped, not a terrible year, but not the year a lot of people hoped. What is the energy around the football team now? Um, there's a lot of excitement for the new players that have been brought in. And then some of the, I think some of the pieces that emerged this year too, that, all right. So now we've kind of taken a year to let everything settle and maybe just like learn, learn about our team, have this coaching staff, learn about this team, figure out what's going to work here. Cause that transition is not, is not snap your fingers and here we go. Um, I think for people who, who heard the term air raid with this offense and thought, okay, we're going to go five wide. We're going to be running nine routes and just spread out the field and go crazy. That was never part, that was never going to be the plan. And so uh, Phil Longo would, would say that, that yes, there are air raid principles and what this offense is built on is that, but we're going to blend what, what we have here, what's worked here and try to take those concepts with, with, with the, big offensive lineman and the, and the power running game and, and, and build that out. And so that's been taking a transition. Same defensively. I think Tressa would tell you that too, that trying to figure out the pieces that we have, how can we maximize it? And then, okay, what were our deficiencies? How do we go in the portal? How do we get some of these freshmen that we think are early enrollees that can help right away? Cause I think there might be a few on there that we're going to see. And how do we start, keep building that? And so, there's excitement. There's excitement about a schedule that's going to provide a ton of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, hard, hard schedule. Um, I was just having a conversation with today. You think next year's hard? Look at the 25 schedule. The 25 schedule. So next year doesn't have Ohio State and Michigan on it. It has a lot of hard ones, but doesn't have Ohio State and Michigan. The year after, it's pretty much just as hard with at Alabama instead of home, and you add Ohio State and Michigan. So it's tough sledding. Like it's a steep climb to get this program where we think it could be. But there's still a ton of confidence in Luke Fickle, first of all. Like, the more I've gotten to know him, the more I believe in what he believes in. And um, he's much more stake than sizzle. And, and, and I think maybe the way he was introduced, the way we 
brand strategy. He probably poured a lot of the gasoline on it early and the, the spring game being called the launch and all of the ways that we positioned um, this new staff was done intentionally because we wanted to get excitement and, um, and we were leaning into football success in this new era. Um, but he at his core is a badger and he's in the same things that we value he does. And so, yes, there was a lot of sizzle around this hire and maybe this first season that, but he is much more stake than sizzle in, in a good way. Like I mean that endearingly. Um, and so I think there's still a lot of excitement and confidence that yeah, first year wasn't quite what we'd hoped this year. We may not be in the CFP this next year either, but, but we, we think we're headed in the right direction and nobody's doubting for a second this hire. I love it. I, I can't wait to continue this conversation. I got to take a quick break for friends of the show, but I want to come back and ping on that topic. What are the realistic expectations with a tougher schedule? Um, I do want to talk about that next and Gray Garden, this basketball team coming up with Patrick Herb. But first, we're going to take a quick break for our friends of the show over at Game Time. Game Time is your number one source for all your ticket needs. I talk about it a lot. And listen, if you're a Badger fan, college basketball, this Badgers team is definitely worth going to check out. They've been incredible this year. Go to Game Time. Go to Game Time with the code Locked On. Get twenty dollars off. And Game Time again, best tickets, best prices, best selection of tickets for any type of event. Whether you're talking concerts, theaters, sporting events, whatever it is, Broadway, whatever it is, you can go to Game Time, find the entertainment you need, use it to buy a gift for somebody, give them the entertainment they need. It's a great gift, and now there's a great offer again. Go to Game Time. Use code Locked On, and you get twenty dollars off. You download the Game Time app, create the account. Code locked on, you get $20 off your game time purchase. All your ticketing needs, all your entertainment needs over at Game Time. Go check that out today. All right, let's get Patrick Gerb back on. And again, very, very grateful to, to be able to bring on people like this on the show. And I want I want to start here. I, I want to finish up football with this conversation. And it kind of leads into basketball too. Uh we I talked about this before. We are very spoiled as Badger fans. That doesn't make it easier when you have a bad year. It doesn't make it easier when you lose games you feel like you should win. What are the realistic expectations? Yeah, we've earned the right to be spoiled a little bit. I, I, so this is a sensitive topic for me because – so I grew up a Badger fan. I went to school here. I'm raised in this culture. So I, I work here, but I'm also a fan. If I wasn't doing this job, I'd follow the teams just as closely as I do now. I lived in the – I was I lived a little bit in the era where we weren't that good, but most of my fandom has been really successful Badgers too. And it's great to have expectations. Like you want that. If if you don't have expectations, then you're Minnesota, right? And and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, you know. Then they stop losing interest, and there's apathy, and and we that's the last thing we want. So expectations are good. What we what we really fight against, or at least like I do when I when I when I in, observe what's happening sometimes is is when. It, it, it seems like maybe some of the enjoyment comes out of the product because you're waiting for the, the big game, right? That we host, we, we're going to host Ohio state in men's basketball next week on a Tuesday night. And Ohio state's one of the lesser teams in the big 10. And so, so I would hope that the Cole center energy would not be okay. Well, you know, it's Tuesday night. We're just playing Ohio state as opposed to this is an awesome team. We only get, four more chances to watch them at the Cole center. So I'm going to be there and I'm going to be present and try to be involved and not let the apathy of success, you know, bring that down. So like that, that's a, I don't know, that's my soapbox a little bit that I, I think we as Badger fans have to guard against a little bit. Like don't just wait for the NCAA tournament, 
because then you miss the fun of going through the season. Now I'm sounding like Paul Christ. Paul Christ used to talk about that all the time. He's like, if you just wait for the game, then you miss the like, or if you just wait for the end when you win the game, you miss the best part, which is playing in the game. The great philosopher Paul Christ. Um, but anyway, that's a, I sidestepped like what you're asking. Expectations, um, I think they should be high. I think we we want them to be high. We have it. We expect them to be high. That's why. That's why Chris McIntosh went and made this hire. That's why he talks about we are here to pursue championships. Like that, that's our end goal. We we see ourselves in the same light with the blue bloods of basketball and football. And so we want to put together a program that matches that. And we want to have a crowd of 70,000 that matches the big time programs. And we want to have we want to have the NIL opportunities that other schools of our caliber have. Um and so I think expectations are okay. So does that mean we should make the CFP and we should expect to make the CFP this year? I don't, I don't know. That might be a little bit elevated, but there sure is hope around here that we're going to be playing in that CFP playoff soon. That's why we're heating the field and putting in the coils underneath Camp Randall so that, so that if we're hosting a playoff game in December or even January, the field's not frozen. And so like, the, like we're making those preparations. So it's okay to, to want that standard. Um, I just hope that people don't, um, you know, lose faith if it doesn't happen like this. Right. And then, and again, then that they can't enjoy the process when it's happening um, while we're going through it. So this basketball team, I hope they make the final four. I hope they make the elite eight, the sweet 16 or win a national championship, whatever. But I hope that the but all of us, myself included, I hope we can appreciate next Tuesday's home game against Ohio State, and when we beat the Buckeyes, like yeah, that was that was a part of it too, not just playing an NCAA tournament. By the way, I can't like I I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the idea of a home playoff game in Camp Randall, just because I would lose my mind. I that would yeah, be the, I, it's know. hard to envision anywhere, even like a home playoff game at, at Clemson. It's hard, is strange, but particularly here, yeah, where. Oh, yeah, can you imagine Texas A&M having to come to Camp Randall? Incredible. It'd be it would be incredible. It would be awesome. We yeah, always have snow coming down, like Texas A&M fans, like so cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You remember Miami playing in, in Florida in a bowl game. Like, you imagine a Miami team come up to Camp Randall in January? You remember Miami playing in the um, in Yankee Stadium in the Pinstripe Bowl against us? Yeah, they were yeah. done. They, yeah, it was cold. They Like, they had no interest in being there. So, yeah, I think we would have – it's an advantage for us if we could get if we could get a playoff game here at Camp Randall. Same way, Ohio State would have an advantage, or Michigan would have an advantage. That I don't think they want to come here in December. Some of those no, southern I teams. I, I want to shift to basketball quick. And again, I could keep like I could talk to you for hours, and I have way more questions written down than I'm going to get to. We haven't even talked about like stories. Yet. We haven't even shared stories. But, okay, I haven't, even, yeah. I haven't even opened the book yet. Uh, I want to <laughs> go here. I want to go basketball for a second because this is something you and I talked about before the show. I still get, after really every loss, I get questions about, is Greg Gard the guy? Does A degree of, of, is Greg Gard the guy to, should he be on the hot seat? I'm sure you see elements of that as well. Um, I've always said the last couple of years, I think Greg Gard does a really good job overall. Like, this program is really good this year. What What's your reaction when you see that, knowing it does come from a passionate place? Yeah, for the most part. Uh, if you're if you're if you're reading social media comments, it's hard to understand. It's hard to know the the truth of where they're coming from, right? Like, there are a lot of people who masquerade as Badger fans and to troll. 
And, and, and it's not just a Badger thing. Like there are probably Badger fans that go on Purdue message boards and, and on Purdue social media posts and, and trash or Ohio state right now. Right. That's an interesting one. So Chris Holtman, what are the year five or so or six of Chris Holtman and, and have they had the return that they were hoping? Probably not. And so is he on the hot seat or not? And if you go look at their comments after the games and they're all just trashing their program, how many of those are really Ohio State fans and how many are other fans just piling in because it's fun and it's it's a sure, – so, but, but I hear what you're saying. Um, Gregard took over an interesting – you know, he, he came in in an interesting situation. Replacing Bo Ryan was extremely challenging for anybody. If we'd, have, if we'd have hired Brad Stevens, let's say, just I'm just throwing out a name, it would have been a really hard situation because there is no grace. He, we had made so many NCAA tournaments in a row – that there's no grace for one for one hiccup in there. And there are only three or four programs in the country that have something like that where you're not allowed a grace. And so I think he did an incredible job of taking over in the middle of the season his first year of a team that had a little bit of dysfunction. And if you remember, that team wasn't very good when he took over. He took him to the Sweet 16, forced Barry Alvarez to hire him, um, turned out to be the right move, like – thinking about who some of those other candidates were at the time, those people are not at those same jobs anymore. So like you, that's the other, like you have to do a little revisionist history of saying, okay, if they didn't hire him, who would they have? Uh, this guy, this guy, this guy. Ooh. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, what we've done is pretty, that's pretty successful. Okay. But then, but then he's had a, he's had an interesting career, right? The, the whole recording in the locker room and how that kind of became a national narrative and how he's come through that and won two Big Ten titles since then is remarkable. And and if you look at the level of success that he has had compared to his peers, not just historically Wisconsin, like we know Wisconsin wasn't great before the Dick Bennett, Bo Ryan, but even his peers. Like the stat the other day that was shared, I think is worth sharing for every platform I can. So he hit 100 Big Ten wins with the win at Minnesota two, about 10 days ago. He did it in 162 games. His teams did it in 162 games. There, in the last 50 years of Big Ten basketball, only five coaches reached 100 Big Ten wins faster: Bob Knight, Bo Ryan, Gene Cady, Thad Mata, and Tom Izzo. Like that's it—a 50-year time span. So, like I think we kind of lose sight of that. That the the team has had remarkable success. They just haven't had. They've had two times where they haven't made the NCAA tournament, and there's no grace around here for that which is fine. We all want to be in the NCAA term every year too. But then also you're so much is measured on the postseason, and, and fairly or unfairly, like it's why college basketball is so popular. Everybody loves March Madness. I do too. Um, and so the fact that this team has not been able to get past the second round since 2017 is, is probably part of where the narrative um, is shaped. That is he, that, where people question, is he the guy? And, the postseason is such a crapshoot. If the 2020 postseason got to be played, that team was as hot as anybody in the country. Feels like that team could have made a run to the second weekend or beyond. They won the Big Ten title that year by winning the last seven games of the season. COVID comes, cancels the tournament. 2022, the Johnny Davis season when they won the Big Ten title. I, I swear, if Chucky doesn't get hurt in that game, where there's no way we lose to Iowa State, as it was, it was a one-possession game. And we had no point guard, and we turned it over a bunch second half. So, like the randomness of sports are, and but these are these are sound like excuses, and that's fine. 
Like the proof's in the pudding. I hope this year they can make a deep run. Um, but I do think some of the, a lot of the criticism is totally unfair and it's shaped by, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what I want, but it's not this. Right. And so I, that's a, there'll be a valuable question to ask somebody who doesn't want Greg Gard leading the program is okay. Then who, um, yeah. and for my money there, enjoy the success we're having because it's pretty good. Well, I've often said too that that Johnny Davis year, like if he doesn't hurt his ankle towards the end, and he's a hundred percent, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah that, he, wasn't, he wasn't right those last couple games. No, he clearly what that team was poised. Uh, it, it's one of those big what ifs, which I'm going to ask you about next. I got to take one more quick break. We got a few more minutes with Patrick Irvin. I'm going to milk every single second of it. But we're going to take a quick break for our friends of the show over at FanDuel. FanDuel remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs and information. Again, this is a great time. Uh, to get in on this with the Super Bowl coming up, obviously, uh, Patrick used to work within the Chiefs organization, so that's an interesting connection there. Also, college basketball and uh, NBA, all that's going on over going on over there at FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. New customers, you bet $5 money line. Win or lose, you get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed. That's win or lose, $150 in bonus bets guaranteed. FanDuel, simple, easy. Please do it responsibly. But all your sports, all your different types of betting uh Futures, parlays, teasers, it's all there. Incredibly simple to use, incredibly easy, and the payouts are fast and simple. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. All right, let's get Patrick back on here and finish up. Hey, there it is. There's that Chiefs element. I'm a Niners fan, so like. Oh, okay. We're going to. But anyway, that's for a whole nother show. I'm, I'm a Packers and Chiefs fan. I, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Appleton, so I had kind of have to be a Packers fan, but then. Yeah, when you work for the Chiefs for seven years, you kind of get, you kind of get brainwashed into that culture too. No, hundred um, percent. I want to, man. Again, I have so many, and I apologize to the people who submitted questions. I'm not going to get to all of them on this show, um, but I will bribe Patrick with some something to get him back on at some point. I wanted to ask you this: We talked a lot about basketball, and you were incredibly intertwined with that 2014, 2015 team. You wrote a book about it, Make Them Believe. Uh, really good read, by the way. I have that book. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and really well-reviewed. Like, everybody loves it. Uh, I want to ask you this. What is the legacy of that 15 team? Because I haven't been able to go back and watch the Duke or the or the Kentucky game because they lost at the end. And that's that's a me thing. That, I'm not saying that should be everybody. Even the 2015 Kentucky game where they won, you haven't gone back? That one is fun. I, it's an incredible game. It's the, one of the greatest ones I've ever seen. I haven't been able to watch it because I know what happens. It's almost like if you had lost the, the gold medal game after beating Russia, Team USA. Yeah. I don't know if you go back and watch. I don't know. Like – how do you look at that season with that huge, incredible win, and then you lose to Duke? Obviously, it's an incredible season. The lasting leg- the legacy that I think that team left was they became a national sensation. Like, yes, Badger fans loved them, but they would have loved any team. Like, they're going to love any team that is successful. They became a national su- sensation because they were they were lovably goofballs but they were, they were really self-aware of who they were. And so they had this incredible way to balance confidence and ego. Like, don't get me – like, they came across as just these kind of humble, like, jokesters and Frank Kaminsky. Frank Kaminsky had an ego. You don't make it as far as – you're not successful without having one as he was. That team was ruthless. Like, they would go – like, when they went on the court, they, they were trying to destroy teams. And so they had this – but yet their public persona was so – um, filled with humility and joy and being around each other and joy in being present in the moment that I think people really 
really latched onto that as, as these guys, these guys could be me and my buddies. These guys are, they're taking joy in the small things that would be awesome to be a part of as a division one athlete. And so for the 99% of us who didn't get to play at that level, you're like, dude, sitting at a press conference at NCAA tournament, that'd be so cool. Yeah. Where a lot of those press conferences, you know, you're seeing guys who are like, yeah, you know, we're just doing this. And they, they loved it. They, they, they lived in the moment. And so whether it was Nigel Hayes playing tricks on the stenographer with his, you know, with his vocabulary or whether it's Frank Kaminsky, you know, like being, being like this, this uh, goofball that is not afraid to put forth a Taylor Swift dance video. Do you remember he did that? that There was an acapella group on campus that just reached out to him on social media, I think. And they said, Hey, we want to do this video. What do you think? And he's like, Oh, sure. And so it's super embarrassing for most people to do what he did and dance to this Taylor Swift song with this men's acapella group on the court. And he was like, nah, that's fun. I I, I have fun doing that. Um, And so I, I think that's their biggest legacy is that they made success look fun, that they enjoyed being around each other and didn't take themselves too seriously. And then on the court, they were, the sum was greater than the parts, even though they had two lottery picks, like it was a team basketball. I think people really latched onto that even outside the Wisconsin sphere. It was an incredible team to watch. Do you think um, two things that always kind of stick up, just randomness that they did coach K spoil us that did, did coach K get to the refs at halftime? That that's the number one thing I hear fans say. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's ever proof of it. I, off the record, <laughs> it feels like he did because it feels like the game was officiated differently. But I don't know. The one, the the play that will stick with me forever is Tyus Jones driving and going through Bronson Koenig's chin, and mm-hmm. they call Bronson for a for a for a blocking foul, and it's an and one, a huge point of the game. And Bronson, I mean, he's literally standing like this, and it goes through his chin. And I, I remember watching the he's he's doing this afterwards and being like, "How did they just call that on me?" There were, those, there were a couple of those plays where I'm like, ah, that doesn't feel right. But I don't know. Maybe we had a shot clock violation against Kentucky that didn't get called yeah. either. I don't know. We did. <laughs> um, that was Nigel A's on the baseline. I, I remember it like, yes, we did. Um, I want to finish here, man, because, again, like, I am so grateful. But I, I don't want to take up more of your time than um, I asked for. Do you, Last kind of question here. Did you know in the moment how special that was? I tried to. I tried to. I, I, I would love to relive I would love to relive those final four runs again because I don't think you can ever truly appreciate something when you're in it. It's like your wedding day or when your children are born, like you're trying to, you're like, I know how special this is, but it goes so fast and there's so much happening that you, it's hard to, to really take a breath, but I tried to. Um, so at the, the, the team that year had the make them believe slogan, right? Like that was, that was their created mantra for the whole year. And they had those shirts made up. So I remember talking to Frank, like he loved that shirt a lot. It was kind of, he was the one who kind of was behind the make and believe. And, and we talked about how he, like he, he, he wanted to, to keep pushing that through. And, and that was a real thing that they lost to Kentucky the year before and everything was built to going back and beating Kentucky and getting redemption for that and making people believe that they could beat Kentucky. And so the clock is ticking down and, it wasn't a last second possession. We knew with 
you know, we're shooting free throws to, to further ice in. So we knew at this point, like, we got this game. And Frank mouths to me, I'm just like, I, I, during the games, I don't necessarily have a lot to do. I tweet and stuff. Or back then I did. So, but I'm kind of standing on the side, getting ready to walk up onto the stage court to help with the post-game interviews with Westwood One and CBS, et cetera. And Frank's, I think Bronson's at the line, shooting free throws to clinch it. And Frank's mouth into me, he's like, get the shirt, get the shirt. And I was like, okay. So I ran and grabbed his warm-up shirt, the Make and Believe warm-up top, and I'm standing at the side. And I just remember, like, so then the buzzer sounds, and I walk on the court, and I gave him the shirt so he could parade around showing it. And I remember, like, as I passed it to him, just standing there being like, this is pretty cool. Like, this is pretty cool. Like, the National Player of the Year wanted me to grab this shirt, and I'm standing on this stage just looking around, and, like, I never thought I'd be able to be in that kind of situation. And then – and then the people at Lucas Oil played jump around in the in the building, and the place went. And it was just like, this is really cool. This is really cool. <laughs> I, hope we, I hope we can do it again sometime. I really do. Yeah, and you're a Badger fan in that moment, and that's your mm-hmm. job. That must have just been this perfect con- confluence of like everything is just great in this moment. But it, like you said, it's hard to live in that moment and know this is really special. Yeah, because then right after that, it was like I got a producer from CBS being like, you need to get Bo Ryan and Frank here right now. We need to go. We're live on CBS. I'm like, okay, snap back to it. I got work to do. <laughs> I love it. Uh, he is Patrick Herb, Director of Communications Brand Strategy at the University of Wisconsin. But he has certainly done a bunch of other things at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, I have his Twitter down there. Patrick, is there anywhere else people could follow you or anywhere else you would like them to kind of interact? No, I, I'm i not super active on Twitter, but but I do, I do enjoy – communicating with Badger fans and connecting and storytelling. So I know I feel free to, for people to reach out to me. Um, I'm also on the radio for our uh, Badger radio broadcast. I'm the sideline reporter for football broadcast, been doing that for about 15 years uh, and then help out on the pregame show for football and basketball. And that's just kind of a labor of love and uh, they, they keep letting me do it. So I keep, I keep trying not to screw it up. No, that's phenomenal. Uh, he is Patrick Gerb again. So, so grateful for your time, man. Thank you, everybody who tuned in, and uh, we'll talk tomorrow on Wisconsin. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Absolutely.